Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today I'm going to be discussing the postponement of the Thunder Philadelphia 76ers game, as well as talking about a potential third two-way contract, and if it's passed, the player we should be going after. So just kicking things off, the postponement. This was, you know, something that wasn't totally out of the realm of possibility. I told you all in the preview that five Philadelphia 76ers players were out from the team, so they only needed a couple more players for the eight-player minimum threshold to, you know, become unavailable. They only had 10 guys. Get a couple people into health and safety protocol, and boom, we can't have a game. So really what happened was Shams of the Athletic he kind of broke the news, and he just tweeted that the game was postponed, and there wasn't much else to it, and, you know, there was not, there wasn't reasoning until, like, Woj came out, and Woj, he kind of helped clarify what was going on in the situation, he said they were short eight players, so they only had seven guys suited up, couldn't play the game, and then he kind of talked about the postponement being related to other games that they played in the past, like the contract tracing system, and in particular, the game that they played on Saturday versus the Grizzlies. So what ended up happening was Jonas Valanciunas of the Grizzlies, he got thrown into health and safety protocols yesterday, and it was really just like a little trickle-down effect. I believe that they played the Timberwolves before they ended up playing the 76ers on Saturday, and And as you guys know, Carl Anthony Towns of the Timberwolves has gotten COVID, so prayers up to him. Hopefully he does better. And pretty much since they were in close contact, I guess Jonas Valanciunas, I don't know if they officially have said he has COVID or what, but he got thrown into their COVID health and safety system, right? And the people that he was defending, as well as some other 76ers players also had to be thrown into the pile of your quarantine for a couple weeks. Now, I'm not sure if they actually released the names, but as Woj said, they were short eight guys. So they had to be multiple people who were on Valanciunas a ton. Maybe Dwight Howard. You know, we got all these random people we can guess. I'm not even going to speculate, honestly, but they're all out and there can't be a game. And I think the 76ers played a game with like seven people. A week ago, I don't think they want to repeat that because that just would not be the greatest of looks. I know whenever that first happened, I actually found out the news through like Twitter or something and it was the 776ers guys running through the tunnel with some weird music too. It's pretty funny actually. Well, actually, it it wasn't funny like in terms of if I was one of the players, I'd be probably pissed, but the music on it gave a little bit of a humor to it. Anyways, it probably would have been a repeat if they actually had to play again, and it would have likely been just a ton of guards since Valanciunas is a center. Yeah, so for Oklahoma City, this is a second time that we have had to deal with a postponement. You know, our season opener against the Rockets, we couldn't even play our season opener. And then we go over to this game, and it also gets postponed. So we're really two games back on some of these teams, maybe even three, for the teams who played opening night and just have not had postponements, there may be teams three or four games ahead of us, so we're always going to be a little bit back on the standings, it is what it is, we just got to get used to it, 
It's this is a new age of NBA. There's probably gonna be some other postponements as well. But yeah, uh, actually, the postponement didn't stop the Thunder from playing basketball on Sunday night, and that is what was really awesome. I just expected them to go back and really just rest up for the Nuggets game that they play on Wednesday, but they did a little scrimmage. You know, we had five on five, I think, going for the jump ball. It was like Poku versus Roby or something. Poku actually won. We don't know who won this game. I wish it was televised. Like, they had the they had the announcer there, which I thought was really cool. I don't know if the security people and, like, just everybody was in attendance for that thing. I just wish that they made that public somehow because that would be one hell of a game to break down and watch because you could really see what would be going on. I feel like maybe Dagnall may have interfered a couple times in the game. Uh, that's really just baseless stuff, though, so I'd probably throw it out the window. Anyways, they just played a game even though that they couldn't compete against the 76ers on Sunday. So that was really, really cool. I'm, I'm really hurt like that we couldn't play in this one. I don't know if hurt's the right word, but it sucks a lot because this is one of those teams in the 76ers right now, a Joel Embiid-less 76ers team. This would have been the perfect matchup for our guys. I feel like we would have played toe-to-toe with them. And they have good pieces, like, all across the board with Embiid gone still. Like, you still have Ben Simmons. You still have Tobias Harris out there. Maxie and Milton have been killing it. You got Danny Green. And then, you know, you got guys like Dwight Howard. So those are, that's a good list of guys. And I feel like in every single one, one through five, we would have somebody who it would be a contest. You know, SGA versus Simmons will be fun to watch. At the two guard, you got George Hill versus Shake Milton as of right now. At the three, Danny Green versus Dort. Maybe you could swap Dort down to two, as I said in the preview. But Harris versus Baisley. See if Baisley can kind of get back to his New Year's form, if that makes any kind of sense. And then Roby versus Howard. And even just extending down to the bench. I mean, these guys are super thin. Last time we played someone who was super duper thin on roster spots. I'm pretty sure we ended up crushing them. So it would give us time to kind of throw out our other players and just see how they did uh, against some of the worn down competition or their bench unit. I just felt like it would have been a really good game to kind of grade us. And every single game for us has not been just easy pickings. You know what I mean? The Thunder team has had to like grind for every single W. Every time they're coming into games, they are not being expected to win. Like on ESPN, they're never the favorite for the games. I mean, people don't expect them to be 6-6 six and six as of right now, yet they're still doing it. And they could have, in my opinion, probably easily beaten this 76ers team if they followed suit on just a couple things. Because without Embiid, you got a really drained up Howard who's coming off a second set of his back-to-back. He's not going to be all there. Tony Bradley's a decent center, but I don't think he'd have that massive production. Really just be about Garden Simmons, Maxie, and Milton. And if they could have clamped them up, unless, you know, Danny Green or Tobias Harris went off, we would have probably won that game. And we were on such a high streak. That was our best win of the season against the Bulls this weekend. And we had people like Kenrich Williams looking like 
one of the best defenders in the league. And, you know, he was still doing it on both ends. He shot six of six in that game. We got guys like Roby who are outperforming, you know, their their supposed bench role that they've had. This dude's starting, playing like a beast. Basie wasn't all there, yet we still won the game. SGA's putting up career-high numbers. Lou Dort's putting up career-high numbers. George Hill wasn't all there, but he was providing that teamwork we need. And just going through the bench, I mean, we got people like Maladon also chipping in. Diallo wasn't all there, but you get the point. Everyone was involving themselves in that last game, and I think it would have been the same against the 76ers squad. So the fact that we couldn't have played it really, really stinks. And also, I'm just really intrigued by the Maxi-Shake-Milton combo that they have going on. I mean, these are two young, high-efficiency scoring guards going up against some of our young talent. I, I don't really know about George Hill. George Hill will be on Milton at times, but really Maladone versus Maxi would have been fun to watch because you got the 21st pick who, in all honesty, slid down the board way too far in Maladone, who also, in all honesty, slid down the board way too far. He should have been a lock for a first-round pick, Maladone. And Maxi, he was in the conversation for the lottery, so... Two guys who was kind of, were kind of just underlooked by other teams. Look where they are now, balling. Seeing those two clash would have been very, very fun to watch. As well as, you know, Baisley trying to go against Tobias Harris. who Pretty solid power forward in the league. But a little bit of a change of pace from some of the other guys that we've been playing. So, we didn't end up being able to play this one. You know, safety has to come first in these situations. The league needs to be doing things. In the benefit of the players, they do not want to be playing these games knowing full well that one of the players needs to be in quarantine. You know what I mean? So I'm happy that they did not let this one go through. Same goes for all the games that they have postponed this year, just out of safety reasons. But yeah, this is an on to the next one mentality for the Thunder. And we just, we can't be dwelling on this. We need to look ahead in our next matchup, as I stated. It's in the Mile High City. We're traveling to Denver to face, get this, the 6-7 and seven Nuggets. They've had one of the best players in the league thus far uh, in Nikola Jokic. He's averaging like 10 assists and whatnot. So he's going to be fun to watch there, and they will be playing on Wednesday. So make sure to keep updated on that one, and I'll make sure to get a game preview for you all. The final story I want to talk to you guys about today revolves around the two-way contract. So, a third two-way contract spot is being discussed between the NBA and NBPA in this past couple days. So, I'm going to be talking about that as well as who I think the Thunder should be going after with this two-way roster spot if it ends up opening up. So... Shams from The Athletic tweeted on Friday that the NBA and NBPA, so the NBA and then the Players Association, are discussing adding an additional roster spot for teams via a third two-way contract. And I just want to say that right off the bat, this move is great for all parties involved because we have seen so many games postponed in these past couple weeks to the point that they are seriously considering taking some sort of hiatus here. That's how bad it's gotten. We are having multiple games in this past week. Multiple games are being postponed. We just can't be having that. So the fact that they're taking the initiative to 
try to get more people involved to prevent more postponements happening is great, number one. Number two, it helps out these young guys so much. People from five, ten years ago, imagine what they had to do to try to get to the spot some of these players are at. They didn't have the chance to get a two-way contract. They had to work their way up from just strictly playing in what was the D-League, hope they got called up for a couple games, and then they had to ball out and likely they would still would drop back down. The two-way contract has made it so it's not just an occasional once every couple months you play one game with the franchise. You are continually with that group of guys, and it really helps out your development, and it ends up creating actually a lot of good stars. So for us, I mean, we're trying to rebuild, so every single slot we have is so useful. Imagine if we had that extra slot at the beginning of the season, and we didn't have to waive Frank Jackson. That guy would be a real piece for us. He's on a two-way deal with Detroit right now, but just picture that. Every single roster spot counts, and when we are in a rebuild, and we're trying to scrap together as many bits and pieces as we can, having an open two-way roster spot is a very big deal. So, the two-way contract itself, it allows for a player to be active for 50 NBA games, in the 20 to 2021 NBA season. So it got expanded from last year's. Last year's did not have this sort of wiggle room, and it's due to the pandemic, but last year I think you could only be with the NBA team for a total of 45 days. And this wasn't just games. If you're practicing on a road trip, every single one of those off days where you're just practicing, that counts towards your contract. And once that contract is up, too bad. The other team has to make a decision or... The contract just goes, it's just over right then and there. So with this, the players are able to stay with the actual team and just grow with them. So the actual NBA staff can assess these guys better. I think it will give them, you know, the two-way guys, just more time to prepare themselves for what is to come in the league if they end up getting to that stage. So 50 NBA games, pretty much that's a, almost like a real roster spot. The only criteria, though, that clears out so many of these dudes that people probably would have on the top of their minds, the two-way contracts are reserved for NBA players who have only played three or less years in experience. So if you've played, you know, four years, if you're entering your fourth season, too bad, so sad, you are not eligible for a two-way contract. However, we do have some pieces here that we would love to bring in on a two-way contract. And I'll go into the main guy in a second here. But I just kind of want to break down what two-way contracts have looked for us in the past few seasons. So the two-way contract was actually expanded. It was written into the NBA rulebook back in the 2017-2018 year so. This is the fourth season we will have the two-way contracts being a part of just the league in general. So far, we have added on 10 people through this contract, and I'll read through the list really quick and just break it down for you. We have signed Daniel Hamilton, PJ Dozier, Dante Grantham, Deontay Burton, Jawan Evans, Kevin Hervey, Lou Dort, Devin Hall, Moses Brown, and Josh Hall. So that is a list of 10 guys right there. 
out of our 10 shots that we have taken at these two-way guys, only two of them and P.J. Dozier and Lou Dort are currently on NBA contracts. So Dort, as we all know, is one of the major pieces of our OKC rebuild. And then P.J. Dozier, he's a nice backup point guard for the Denver Nuggets. And he's like six foot seven, so he's really like a point forward for them. They got a real steal with them. But another player, Daniel Hamilton, he ended up, after our two-way contract, we didn't want any part with him. But he did get an NBA contract after that season. The Atlanta Hawks gave him a guaranteed one-year contract. He kind of stunk it up. I don't even think he cracked 20 games in that season he had with Atlanta. So he's playing overseas right now. But he balled out with us and was able to get to another team. And then there are two guys. We got Dort and then we got Deontay Burton, who during the course of their two-way contract season balled out to the point that they got their contract upgraded to a full-scale deal. And Deontay Burton is just a year removed from being on our roster. He just wrapped up his deal that he had off of that stint he had with our G League team. And then Dort, as we all know, he got that deal at the end of last year, and I don't expect him to be gone anytime soon. So just assessing this grouping of players that we have gotten, it actually stacks up quite well with other franchises in terms of two-way contracts. The only other franchises who I believe have done a better job gathering pieces through the two-way contracts have been Miami and Denver. Miami, for starters, they got Duncan Robinson originally through a two-way deal. So I think that takes a cake that may be the most valuable asset who has come out of the two-way contract market. It's him and Dort. Those are one and two right there. But as of right now, Duncan Robinson is killing it for the Heat, so you need to put him up there. But then you also have guys like Gabe Vincent, who for Miami has not played a ton, but he actually just came off a 20-point performance with them in their last game. And then you also have Derek Jones Jr., who is with Phoenix now, I believe. But originally Miami picked him up on a two-way deal, really just brought him up as a player and got him to the point where he would be making eight figures on his salary. So he did a great job assessing the talent pool as well as Denver. In that first season, they acquired Monte Morris and Torrey Craig with their two spots. And Monte Morris and Craig, they're both well in the NBA right now. I'm not going to say either of those guys are better than Dort or Robinson, but those are two quality NBA players. And then you got Bull Bull, who, honestly, it's one of those things where he got picked by the team, and whenever I'm thinking of two-way deals, I'm looking more at undrafted guys who are just brought into the squad. That's not how it always works. There's always those people drafted in the second round who end up just going on a two-way deal for whatever reason. Bull Bull was one of those guys, and he is looking like a future asset for the Denver Nuggets. So I think stacking it up, we have done a solid job. I mean, outside the people that I have listed, there are still a lot of great guys who have come out of two-way contracts, such as Alex Caruso. The Lakers got him. Luke Cornett, he's on the Bulls right now. Daniel House, he was originally 
brought on a two-way deal by the Phoenix Suns. He's on the Houston Rockets right now. You got Georges Nang, who is on the Jazz. Ryan Archie Diacono, he's a solid point guard for the Bulls. And then you got Damian Lee for the Warriors and Shake Milton for the 76ers, who I also think was a second round selection. However, he has been crushing it with them and he has been dropping double digits thus far in the year. I think he's had some outbursts of 20 plus. So they struck gold with Milton as well as all these other teams who have acquired people through the two-way contracts. If you get a guy who can stick on your roster for a couple of years and get upgraded to a full contract, that is a total hit on these deals because the majority of them do not ever pan out to be anything, but there are always those gems that are found through these contracts. And with the expansion of our third slot, we're going to be able to get our 11th Thunder player to be added to our grouping. So it's going to be Josh Hall, Moses Brown, and whoever our third two-way contract guy is. That's going to be our three for the season. Combine those with the eight we've gotten in the past. Boom, there you go, 11. But I really just wanted to give you guys my take on who I think the obvious pick here should be for our two-way selection. And it's Melvin Frazier Jr. This is a guy who we actually own the rights of. He is on the Thunder's G League affiliate OKC Blue right now. We got him through an Exhibit 10 contract last month, and then we immediately just cut him. So we pick him up to get his G League rights, slice him off. Right now he's with the blue, but I do think he has shown enough potential to be a perfect fill-in for our two-way contract. And he does fit the requirements. He is entering his third season in the NBA. He is 24 years old, however, though. So he's a bit up there for his third year. I think he gets a pass for that, and I'll explain why. Just some brief history on Melvin Frazier Jr. He killed it in Tulane. He was a bit quiet in his freshman and sophomore season, but then he had a breakout junior year, and he was all over the place. I believe he won some sort of most improved player award in his conference, and then he dipped, and he ended up getting selected by the Orlando Magic with the 35th selection in the 2018 NBA draft, one spot ahead of Mitchell Robinson. So when people associate Frazier with somebody or something, it tends to be him being taken over Robinson for whatever reason. But it shouldn't be that way because he is an absolute beast. With the Magic, he never got the opportunities that he needed to take steps in his career. He only played 29 games on the Orlando Magic's real NBA squad in his two years, played with his affiliate most of the time, and then up not picking up the team option for his rookie scale contract. So, so that's how he wound up in the free agency pool, and we were able to scoop him up. But anyways, just going into the qualities that he brings, he's just the prototype Sam Presti player. He is... Six foot five, but get this, with a seven foot two inch wingspan. And what he is able to do with that wingspan is just be an elite defender. At least he has been in his time with the G League. He is an absolute ball hawk. And he had 2.2 steals per game with the Orlando Magic affiliate last season. 
that made him fifth best in the league in terms of steals. And I don't think that he should have any sorts of issues sticking up to shooting guards and small forwards in the NBA right now. He does have a bit of a tendency to foul, but I don't think it, you know, kind of outweighs the just dominance he has in poking the ball loose and just staying on his man. So net positive on the defensive side of things. And then on offense, he is just a straight up problem in the fast break or whenever he has an open cut to the basket for that matter. His frame allows him to go straight into his defender, absorb the contact, and with that 7'2 wingspan, he's able to flip it right up and in with little to no contest from the defender. The only major knocks from Frazier, in my eyes, have been that he has not been able to become a shot creator at the professional level, as well as just some inconsistency shooting the basketball. But... He showed consistency in his time with Tulane, and I'm going to go into that right now. From his sophomore to junior season, he was 26% from three in that sophomore year. I didn't really think that he had any future in the league by that sophomore season. I didn't even know who he was, but he kind of came out of nowhere, burst onto the college scene, went from 26% from deep to 39% from deep. And he had a big uptick on the amount of shots he was taken from beyond the arc there. He shot three three balls a game with Tulane in that junior season. And shooting that high of a clip, very, very solid sign from him. And then just looking at other developmental stuff. Every single year he was with Tulane, he improved his free throw. In his freshman year, he shot 52% from the line. He boosted that up in his sophomore year. He was shooting about 67%. And then he got up to 71% by his junior year. And it's always just one of those indicators that people like to look at when assessing college talent. If you see the free throw percentage continually go up, it's normally a good sign that he should be able to translate to the NBA game from shooting. With Melvin Frazier... That 39% from deep dropped down dramatically, but he is way better than he was shooting in his first two years in college. He shot 33% from beyond the arc in the G League last year. So if I were to try to assume what he would be shooting from the three in the NBA level, I'd say it'd be around the 30% mark or so. So not an excellent shooter, But he's not the worst of the worst, if you know what I'm saying. So you can spot him up in the corner on offense. He can produce for you. He can cut right inside to the basket on offense. So he does possess a couple of skills right there. I mean, I'm not expecting the guy to be putting on a showcase of dribble moves and free himself up for a jumper, because that's just not the case. But if you need him to go from point A to point B, he will be able to do that at a high rate. So... On offense, he's really just one of those guys that you can plug in on the second unit with players like Teo Maladone, with Poku, Muscala, Diallo. He can really fit with that lineup at the three or something. If Kenrich Williams isn't feeling it, or someone like Isaiah Roby, for instance, is not feeling it with that lineup, you can plug in Melvin Frazier Jr., and he seriously will be able to have a 
productive time on the floor. But it's really not about the offense with Frazier. Like, he has shown seeds there, and I think that there will be games, hypothetically, if he was playing with us, he would be doing very solid. But it's all about the defensive end. His numbers are not always shown on the stat sheet. It's really just those nitty-gritty hustle plays that we see from players like Lou Dort and, hey, even Kenrich Williams, where they're just fighting for every possession for the team, just being an absolute dog. That is really the embodiment of Melvin Frazier on defense. He's diving for every loose ball. He's crashing the glass. In transition, he's sprinting as fast as he can to try to, you know, get a chase down block or snatch a pass. He has been very good at snatching mid-air passes, by the way. And then just picking, you know, his opposing player's pocket. So stealing-wise, he's got it locked down. I think if he gets his kind of form right and the fundamentals down on, you know, staying straight up on shot contests, fouling should never be an issue with him. He is an NBA-level defender right now. Like, you could throw him on the court in our next game and there wouldn't be any glaring holes in his defense. That's how confident I am with him right now. The only issue has been his offensive production at this point, but it is not even that bad. When you're looking from three, sure, he is shooting just 33% from there, but that's not the only aspect of the offensive side of the ball. With the Lakeland Magic last season, he put up 18 points on 50% shooting. And get this, he shot near 14 times in those games. Only four of those were from downtown. So the majority of his shots were coming from inside, and he was doing very, very solid. He is one of these guys who you can put in at the two, and he will just dominate in the paint down low against another player, just due to that length that he possesses. A lot of his points came off of drives and penetrations inside around the basket. Because let's be honest, no one in the G League is going to be stopping a man who's 6'5", with a 7'2 wingspan, with the kind of bounce that he has shown so far. So he does have pieces to his game, and the production is not always there. Really, that's just how it's been his whole entire career, uh, in terms of the ups and downs. That's never going to change, I think, if he ever transitions to the NBA, the times he does bring production, he is a real difference maker in games. And I will say this, he probably was the Lakeland Magic's best player on their G League team last season on probably both sides of the ball. So I think he deserves a bigger shot than just playing with another G League team again. He has shown way too much potential when it comes to scoring and defense. And even when you want to get down to the nitty gritty stuff, like rebounding and assisting the ball. Rebound-wise, he's that mismatch guy. Once again, I hate having to go back to that, but it's just true, man. He averaged near seven rebounds last season, 6.6 to be exact. It's just all about him hustling for boards. He's doing the little tricks where he has to tap it to himself, fighting for boards, clawing at him, and it worked out well for him. When he has another shooting guard on him or a small forward on him, he's still able to snag the boards. And when you move over to the NBA, I don't think those sort of traits kind of go away from you. So rebounding should be something that if he does make the step, will not take any sort of hit. 
in my opinion. And then assist-wise, he was dropping 2.4, and he's not even that known for his playmaking ability. He has shown times he has been able to pass, but the majority of his highlight reel has just been him being very active on defense and then getting kind of hot from three with those patches that he has tended to have. And then even if you want to go down the line, I talked about steals, but blocking, 0.6 a game. So he was all over it really everywhere last year. I know that we are really trying to focus in on guys that we could use for the rebuild. And you may say, oh, he's 24 years old. Is he really even going to be worth it? He may just be a role player at best. And I get that perspective here. But the mindset that the Thunder need to be using when trying to find some of these two-way guys. And this isn't just a Thunder thing. This is everyone. You're looking not at the age. You're just looking at best player available. And you're not looking at things like position because, yes, if we're breaking it down by the needs of this team, we probably do need a center more than we do a two or three like Frazier. But there's not really that big of a center pool right now that we can dig from. A dude that we could have gotten in the G League draft actually this past week was Justin Patton again. I don't know how far down the line he is in his career to the point we could just pick him up on a two-way deal again but he was really the only big center in that entire draft so there's not a lot of guys left we already picked up Moses Brown I think likely if we end up getting more centers throughout the season it's going to come through a trade of the sorts if Horford ends up leaving Muscala Hill I would imagine a big comes our way so I don't think that's an issue we should press over trying to just get a guy uh, who has sheer talent like Frazier has we never will have enough of two and three guards who can defend at a high level and then has glimpses of shooting you know cannot have too much of it and this is something that Presti has always done as far back as I can remember Going after guys like Andre Roberson, Josh Hustis. I don't know, man. You can just keep going, rattling off, you know, two-way. Not even two-way, just lockdown defenders at the two. Hell, even Lou Dort. How about that one? He just always kind of had a sort of addiction. And that's why Frazier got brought in, because he fit the mold of what we like. And we have a golden opportunity to use him and try to ooze out as much potential that Frazier has left in him. He's 24, so you could be saying he's already peaked. There's been people who have peaked, you know, well into their mid-20s. You can go to Christian Wood. I mean, he's living the good life right now. I think he's 25 years old, but he was bouncing around the G League until, I'd say, age 23-24. He got his first break in like a 10-game stint with the Pelicans two years ago. Now look at where he is. He's one of the key pieces of the Houston Rockets. I'm not saying Melvin Frazier's Christian Wood at all, but the point is there are some older prospects in the G League who can turn into something, and Frazier is one of those guys. He should have never been dropped off by the Magic. They did him so dirty. We cannot pass up on Frazier. He gives you everything that we need. I say, without a doubt, we should pick him up for our two-way deal. But other than that, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. 
I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you guys tomorrow. See ya.